Hello, everyone. My name is Jennifer Vilwak, and I'll be your host today. Today, you are listening to an AAOA podcast. This is a non-promotional, non-CME disease state educational podcast that is brought to you by the American Academy of Otolaryngic Allergy in collaboration with and paid for by GSK. Because this is a disease state podcast, we want you to know that we will not be mentioning any specific medications, generic or otherwise. At most, we may refer to general mechanisms of action for different disease states. So now that we've got that out of the way, um, I'm going to introduce you to Dr. Joshua Levy, and he is going to be discussing the relevance and practical application of immune pathways in patients with chronic rhinosinusitis, both with and without nasal polyps. So welcome to you, Dr. Levy. Thank you so much, Dr. Bowak. This is uh, very exciting and I'm absolutely honored to participate today. Great. So before we dive into describing everything, we were hoping that you might be able to give us a brief primer about the different inflammatory cells that are involved um, in chronic rhinosinusitis, both with and without nasal polyps and how those contribute to the overall disease state. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate how you're, you're starting us off with very easy, simple to answer questions. You know, in truth, and I say that a uh, little tongue in cheek, you know, there are a number of different effector cells and pathways that all interact with one another to promote and resolve inflammation within our bodies. You know, we classify groupings of these cells and mediators into type one, type two, and type three inflammation all of which really uh, have unique characteristics and feed into what we call the disease endotype or the underlying inflammatory pathways. You know, there is, when we think of nasal polyps, the classic and really the um, most highly researched pathway is the type two inflammation. And this is predominantly mediated by eosinophils, although different ILC2 cells, mast cells, basal cells are all involved and the cytokine mediators or the messengers that promote this are not just limited, but include IL-4, IL-5, and IL-13. The reason that this is discussed uh, most heavily with CRS, with nasal polyps, is that it seems to be the dominant endotype uh, with some variation across the world, which I think we'll talk about a bit later, uh, but it seems to be the most relevant for the treatment of asthma, allergic rhinitis, atopic dermatitis, and of course, nasal polyps. Now, when we talk about the other types, there's the type one and type three inflammation. These tend to respond in somewhat different ways. Uh, we think of type one inflammation with the response to viruses and viral infection. Uh, you have natural killer cells, Th1 cells, CD8 T cells. And then finally in type three, which is driven more by neutrophils, ILC3 cells uh, with messengers of IL17 and 22, these are the pathways that promote uh, the fighting and the reaction to bacterial infections. And so, you know, I think, at least for me, when I think about all the different endotypes that are arising, you know, really one of the questions at the forefront of our minds as clinicians is, well, how do we then use these clinical endotypes and what's going through your mind as you're evaluating your patients that have chronic rhinosinusitis? Absolutely. And unfortunately, you know, to this date, we're still somewhat limited 
in the biomarkers and the specific signatures for each of these unique pathways. You know, if we were to break down the distribution, patients with polyps, as I mentioned, tend to be much higher T2 signaling. Those without polyps, there's still a good percentage, about 30% or so with a T2 signature, but the type one and type three pathways become mixed and more prevalent in patients without polyps. Now to answer your question about how we actually measure these pathways, how we use them to affect patient care. Now in my practice, I think of patients with a TH2 look to them. These are, as I mentioned, nasal polyps, uh, atopic inflammation. And clinically, I know that their outcomes tend to be uh, somewhat more challenging. They tend to have more recalcitrant disease. And in my mind and in my communication with my patients, you know, I describe that this is a bad actor. This is disease that we really do have to keep a closer eye on. Whereas patients that lack those biomarkers perhaps don't have eosinophils in our pathology report or don't have increased IgE in their serum, then I'm thinking more of the other inflammatory pathways and I'm hoping for a better response to surgery. But in terms of the practical decision-making, I will treat them more or less the same, especially as we go through appropriate medical care and then surgery. There are no differences in treatment recommendations at this point. And so can you talk to us a little bit, you know, you mentioned that there's no difference in the treatment recommendations, you know, but the way that you in your mind kind of have an idea of how these folks are going to respond. Um, can you just talk a little bit more about um, how these different endotypes, particularly in combination with the different laboratory tests and other metrics that we can measure, how do those impact the overall course of disease? Absolutely. So something that actually surprised me that it wasn't at the forefront of my mind uh, until recently is that there's actually different symptom burdens that are associated with these different pathways. So for example, if we see a patient with smell loss, there's actually a greater than two and a half fold likelihood that they do have an underlying TH2 endotype or type two inflammation. And that is for patients with and without nasal polyps. Now, if we see a patient who intraoperatively, we see pus, that's actually associated, but not definitive, but more associated with a TH1 or a TH3, type one or three inflammatory pathway. They also are less likely to report migraines. So our favorite patients, those that have headaches and really difficult to control symptoms, that's less likely to be driven by a type one or type three inflammatory pathway. Although that's certainly possible. These are not clear 100% differences. And if we take an even closer look with headaches, and again, with our type two inflammation-driven CRS patients, it actually gets even more complicated. And those patients without nasal polyps are more likely to have a type two signature if they report headaches. But those patients with nasal polyps and headaches are actually less likely to have a type two inflammation. So uh, I hope I'm not the only one to admit this, but it gets very sticky very quickly. And it, for me at least, really highlights the need that we need additional 
biomarkers that we can actually test at the point of care uh, in the clinical setting, not just research. And so Dr. Levy, that leads me perfectly into the next question I wanted to ask you, which is, you know, if you're able to just provide a little bit of information and some tidbits about um, biomarkers that you typically are using um, for these patients, both with and without nasal polyposis. Absolutely. The question of biomarker is really, again, it's very difficult. And I think it varies somewhat based on how engaged your pathologist is. Uh, certainly one biomarker that helps me in counseling my patients after surgery is local eosinophilia. What is the eosinophil count in the tissue, whether it be a nasal polyp or ethmoid mucosa for a patient without polyps? And again, if I see that high eosinophil count, which is defined differently by different pathologists, I will counsel the patient that we really need to be very compliant, very vigilant, and I may consider adding additional medications such as a uh, topical steroid rinse or potentially a type 2 biologic for a patient with nasal polyps. Uh, other markers that I'll also look for is increased level of serum IgE, which again would uh, force my thinking towards a type 2 inflammatory pathway, but there just aren't as many clear biomarkers as I wish uh, were available to us all. Dr. Levy, you had mentioned that there may be geographic differences in terms of the different endotypes. Can you talk a little bit more um, about what the data shows there? Absolutely. You know, this is something that continues to confound me somewhat, so I, I'm very happy to talk about it. I, I think it's something that actually we should be talking about more. So there is a great study in the Annals of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology from 2020, so relatively recently, that was a multinational study that characterized the inflammatory pathways amongst patients with nasal polyps. These are tertiary care centers from Chicago, Europe, and two centers in China, both Beijing and Chengdu. And what was found, again, it's so surprising to me, but in both the European, and this is in the Benelux region, as well as the American institutions, patients had upwards of 85% or 85 or greater percent of the patients with nasal polyps showed a dominant type two inflammatory signature. I would assume that would be the case universally. However, in China, again, in Beijing and Chengdu, that was not found whatsoever. And in fact, in both of these different regions, there is an almost equal distribution of type one, two, and three inflammation amongst their patients with polyps. Now, I think there needs to be much more investigation. Is this related to environmental exposures? Is there a genetic factor? Uh, it is something that has all the potential in the world for further study and to influence uh, our patient care. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it sounds like it just further emphasizes the need to, at the very least, be aware of the different endotypes that exist and have those in the back of your mind as you're evaluating patients so that you're not, you know, recommending a one-size-fits-all when we know that there's very different and discrete um, disease states and presentations within chronic rhinosinusitis. Yeah, completely agree. 
And so in that context, can you summarize for us, what are some of the biomarkers that, that you and, and others like us are able to use today when assessing our patients with chronic rhinosinusitis, both with and without nasal polyposis? Yes, absolutely. So there are three that come to mind uh, and all three of them are associated with a type two inflammatory signature. So again, this is more helpful for patients with nasal polyps. However, in the subset of patients without polyps that have type two driven inflammation, this is critically important as well. Uh, the first two are tissue eosinophil level, serum eosinophil level, consider those as one, as well as total IgE or serum IgE. As these levels increase, the likelihood of having comorbid atopy, having a type two inflammatory process and associated poorer outcomes following treatment all go up. Now, the final marker, which is something that is still, you know, a hot topic of study is urinary LTE4. So this is the end product of leukotriene metabolism in our bodies. And there are a number of papers in the literature that have actually diagnosed diagnostic cutoffs for this biomarker for a patient with aspirin exacerbated respiratory disease. Now, however, there are, there are a number of limitations of these studies. And in my personal practice, I do not use this biomarker to diagnose AERD. Rather, I use it to follow the severity of type two inflammation and look for treatment responses throughout their disease course. Well, thank you for those responses, Dr. Levy. I'm gonna briefly summarize what we've talked about and feel free to jump in if I've missed any of the main points, but you know, certainly these chronic rhinosinusitis endotypes are something that we will um, be hearing more and more about as we learn about how different types of inflammation impact the course of this disease state for our patients. Right now, we're lacking the comprehensive kind of biomarker panel that we would like to have to really be able to personalize care towards patients, but there's a couple to keep an eye out on and certainly things like tissue uh, eosinophils and, and total IgE. Um, but hopefully more in the future to really deliver a higher level of care to these folks. Anything that I'm leaving out, Dr. Levy? No, I, I completely agree with you. And I think this is such an important topic. And I look back at our pulmonology colleagues and the endotyping that's been done over the last 10 plus years for asthma and how that really has driven in improvement in patient outcomes, additional uh, specific treatments for the right specific patient. And I think we are on our way to replicate and hopefully even improve our care to a greater extent. Well, thank you again so much for your time, Dr. Levy. This has been an AAOA podcast, and it is a non-promotional, non-CME disease state educational podcast that was today brought to you by the American Academy of Otolaryngic Allergy in collaboration with and paid for by GSK. Thank you to everyone who is listening. And thank you again to Dr. Levy for your great insight and responses. Thank you so much.